Hello and welcome to the Caleb and Full Football Podcast. My name is Caleb. I'll be your only host today. Phil's had uh, quite a busy week so far, so he will be taking this weekend off. So you just get me, Caleb, this week. And because of that, we will get right into it with the news and notes of the week. First off, we got South Florida firing head coach Jeff Scott. He was just four and 26 in three seasons. That right, just four wins across about two Almost three full seasons here for Jeff Scott as the head coach of South Florida. And there's a, there's a few names kind of floating around that I've heard so far potentially linked to the South Florida job. A lot of them are former head coaches like Dan Mullen, the Florida, Florida head coach, Tom Herman, former Texas head coach, Scott Frost, former UCF head coach. So he knows the area pretty well down there, you'd think. Obviously, Dan Mullen would do well. And Penn State's own Jaywan Sider. Um, he's recruited very well down there in Florida, especially the running backs, obviously, as that's his main been his main focus here for most of his time at Penn State. So um seems like there are a few Penn State names floating around time in here again, but we'll see. It seems like obviously the former head coaches may be the more um the more prominent names for the South Florida head coaching job. Next, we will get to, before we get to our Week 10 review, we got the highest scoring game, regulation game in FBS history between SMU and Houston this past Saturday, 77 to 63. That's right, 140 points, all in regulation. I think the only higher scoring game in FBS history was the LSU-Texas A&M 7-overtime game a few years ago before everyone really knew knew who Joe Burrow was. They had that crazy game, lots of overtimes, two-point conversion attempts, and it finally ended. And that kind of is what changed to the new overtime rules. That kind of started the progress there. They didn't want seven overtime games where teams are just playing nonstop. Obviously, we got the Penn State-Illinois nine-overtime game last year, but that was a little bit quicker since it was just two-point conversions, and that's what kind of sparked that rule for that. Um, on the Going back to SMU and Houston, SMU's quarterback Tanner Mordecai, the transfer, 10 touchdowns in this game, nine passing, one rushing. Clayton Toon, the quarterback for Houston, he had eight touchdowns. Slacker a little bit there. Again, a seven passing and one rushing for him. So they both did it on the ground and through the air in that crazy, crazy game. Next, we got the second edition of the playoff rankings. No surprise, Georgia jumps from number three to number one after beating Tennessee this weekend ohio state stays at two michigan up to three and tcu to four i'd say no real surprises there the top four there's the four remaining unbeaten teams in college football they're the top four spots tennessee and oregon the first two teams out both with losses to george on the season tennessee's obviously a little bit closer than oregon's was oregon you could say maybe playing one of the best want to be would be one of the four best teams currently the way they've been playing the past month month and a half but uh, every week counts. That's what we know in college football. So that's why those two teams are on the inside or on the outside looking in right now. But obviously Ohio State and Michigan play. So both those teams can't finish undefeated on the season. But who knows if if that's a close game. Tennessee-Georgia game not quite that close. Will It'll be quite the discussion if... Because at this point, Georgia's going to be making the SEC championship game over Tennessee, most likely. The Ohio State-Michigan winner is going to make it from the Eastern Division, you would think, in the Big Ten. So the loser of that game, as well as Tennessee, neither of them are going to be conference champions. 
both potentially 11 and one team. So that could be a pretty interesting discussion for the fourth and final spot. Obviously Oregon has a chance to improve its resume. USC, US, UCLA, both one loss teams from the Pac-12 that could boost their rankings over the next few weeks as they play more and more important games. So, and then obviously TCU people were pretty upset that they were down below one loss teams, not this week as they had another come from behind victory. All right, let's get into that week 10 review. Then we'll start it off. Like we mentioned, like we already talked about number three, Georgia shutting down number one, Tennessee, 27 to 13. And it was kind of like the Penn state whiteout game. Tennessee had seven false starts in this one. The game was played at Georgia and it really slowed down their offense. They did not score 30 points. They did not score 20 points in this game. It was the first time they did not score 30 since Georgia last year. So Georgia has been the key. Georgia has been the key kryptonite for Tennessee. This Tennessee offense the past couple of years and Hendon Hooker. Hendon Hooker zero touchdown passes, one interception. Took a big hit to his Heisman candidacy. But as we'll cut to see, some of his other top competitors now have a great game as well. So maybe he still has a chance. That's in bed on the other side. Three touchdowns, one rushing, two passing, no interceptions. He played a much better game than his counterpart in this one. Next up, previously undefeated Clemson gets crushed by Notre Dame 35-14. to And this weird season for Notre Dame continues. And it seems as they are back on the upswing. DJ Uyunglele for Clemson benched in this one. Clade Klubnik, Cade Klubnik comes in, throws an interception. So they go back to DJ Uyunglele. He throws a pick six. Basically ends the game there for Clemson. Those back-to-back interceptions. Notre Dame wins 35 to 14 behind their rushing attack. Logan Diggs, 17 carries, 114 yards. Audric Esteem, 18 carries, 104 yards, and a touchdown. So, second, it seems like with Drew Pine in that quarterback uh, for the rest of the season, they'll be looking more at their rushing attack for the rest of the season. Going back to the SEC, number 10 LSU upsets number 6 Alabama 32-31 in overtime. Alabama scored first in overtime. LSU scores. They go for two right off the bat, as you would have to do that in the second overtime anyways. So they figured they got the advantage now. Let's just go for it. And boom, it works out for them. They did the, uh, from what I've seen, the similar or the same exact play that Clemson ran against Alabama to beat them in the national championship game. Uh, Deshaun Watson to Hunter Renfro on that occasion in the national championship game works again here against Alabama for this overtime victory. Mason or sorry, Jaden Daniels to Mason Taylor on the game winning two point conversion and big win, obviously for Brian Kelly. People are saying, oh, this is exactly why he moved to LSU from Notre Dame. He can actually beat Alabama now. And he has the talent to do that. And in some ways I do agree. Alabama beating them. Um, would be a tougher challenge at Notre Dame. But I also think this is one of Alabama's not their most talented team. They've, I think they finally realized all those losses at the wide, wide receiver position, Calvin Ridley, Devontae Smith, on and on and on that they've lost the last couple of years. So Bryce Young, obviously still a great quarterback. They still have great weapons. Jameer Gibbs at the running back position. But it may not be Alabama's most talented team, so LSU shouldn't go out there, be out there thinking, "Oh, now we're better than Alabama, and we're going to beat them each of the next five seasons." Still, still going to be tough to beat Nick Saban. But it is weird to have Alabama basically out of the college football playoff picture. Two losses will be really hard for them to make it to the SEC championship game. So, 
I don't think a two loss team has never made the college football playoff. If it happens, it'll probably be the SEC first before we go to the 12 team playoff where two loss teams will be more a regular occurrence. But for now, if you do, if you are going to be a two loss team to make it in the playoff in the next couple of years, while it stays at four, you're going to have to be a conference champion. And Alabama is most likely not going to be that this year with tiebreakers and everything like that. Our next top 25 battle was number 24, Texas, hanging on to beat number 13, Kansas State, 34-27. It was 31-10 at halftime, led by Bijan Robinson with his 209 yards and a rushing touchdown. Kansas State made it close. Adrian Martinez was back for this game. Um, he scored a touchdown that was clearly not a touchdown. It was first and goal from the one, so they probably score anyways on that drive. That was pretty bad officiating and replay review there. He was clearly short. The, you could see the ball not on the line across on the goal line quite yet when he hit the ground, but still didn't matter. Texas still wins, and, man, they each week that they win, they just got to be thinking, man, what if Quinn Ewers didn't get hurt? What if we beat Alabama because we have Quinn Ewers and he doesn't get hurt in that game. What if we beat Texas Tech because Quinn Ewers is able to play that game? He missed that game. We could be 8-1 and one right now, maybe even 9-0. and oh. um, So they're right on the cusp there, and maybe Texas is back, but they're going to have to prove it over a full season with a healthy quarterback. Hopefully Quinn Ewers is going to be healthy there for the whole time next season, although Archie Manning coming in early, he will be a January enrollee, so could be a quarterback battle there next season. Kansas, they are now bowl eligible for the first time in a very long time. Them and Nebraska were the two longest Power 5 schools without bowl, without a bowl game, their bowl game drought. Kansas is bowl eligible this year. Good for them. They beat Oklahoma State 37-16. Spencer Sanders did not play in this one for Oklahoma State. His backup, Garrett Rengel, two touchdowns, three interceptions. Not a great performance by him. And OK State is just... They're pulling in Oklahoma, basically. They got their first loss of the season, and they seem to be in a downward spiral. See if they will be able to turn themselves around in this very competitive Big 12 conference. Uh, another team that is continuing to stumble, number 20, Syracuse. They lose their third in a row. They lose to Pitt this time, 19-9. Not really close. 337-145 yard advantage for Pitt in this one. Uh, Syracuse had a backup quarterback going, but it was... Pretty easy win for Pitt in a very low-scoring battle. And finally, we got number 22, NC State, beating number 21, Wake Forest, 30-21. Another rough performance from Sam Hartman, three interceptions in this one, despite having 397 yards passing and two touchdowns. So obviously not quite the eight turnovers that Wake Forest had the week before, but still too many turnovers to beat a good team in NC State, even though they have their backup quarterback as well. Moving on to the Big Ten, we got Michigan State upsetting number 16, Illinois, 23-15. to Illinois, one for six on fourth downs on this one. If they could have just completed one or two of more of these, maybe we're headed, maybe this game would have been headed to overtime at least. And if Illinois with a better shot to win it, they were not able to do that. So tough one here. Michigan State's rebounding nicely. And uh, so this kind of left the door open for all the remaining Big Ten West teams to still be able to make that conference championship game where they will probably lose to Michigan or Ohio State. Speaking of Ohio State, the number two team in the country, they snooze fast by Northwestern 21-7. Northwestern scored first. It was terrible weather, kind of like the Penn State game. When uh, Penn State played Northwestern, rain, wind, 30-mile-an-hour winds on this one. They were able to get it together just enough. A couple of Mayan Williams rushing touchdowns in the second half to pull away. But it, 
Like I said, with Hendon Hooker, a rough game for C.J. Stroud. 10 for 26, well under 50%, 76 yards, zero touchdowns. Again, no Jackson Smith and Jigba in this game, no Travion Henderson, but still, he has plenty of other weapons in this one. You would like to have seen a better performance from him and his receiving core. Number five, Michigan, they pull away from Rutgers 52-17. to 17. It was 17-14 Rutgers at halftime, but then Michigan scores three touchdowns in less than two minutes. A couple of interceptions helped with that for Michigan, and they are able to pull away. Michigan has struggled with Rutgers in the past, so it wasn't too big of a surprise to see a close one at halftime, but then Michigan does what good teams do. They pull away from lesser competition. Minnesota, this was one of the surprising ones. They were, I was surprised to see them down in North Nebraska so big in the first half, but they came back to win 20 to 13 after being down 10 to nothing at halftime. A couple of touchdown runs from Muhammad Ibrahim. Uh, no surprise that he is leading the way for Minnesota. Iowa, they have an offensive resurgence. Second straight game, 24-3 to win over Purdue. A couple of touchdown patches, passes for Spencer Petras. A couple of interceptions for Aiden O'Connell is the difference. And, man, Purdue, that whole West is very, very confusing. Iowa's on the upswing. Purdue back down on the downswing. As Who knows who's going to make it out of the Big Ten West. Wisconsin, they beat Maryland 23-10. Talia Tungavailoa was back, thankfully, for this game, but clearly he was struggling in this one. So we'll see if he's any healthier for the Penn State matchup this weekend. Speaking of Penn State, let's get into the Penn State news and review. We'll start with news. Good news, offensive lineman Hunter Norzad, transfer coming in. He will be returning for the 2023 season. He has announced that already, so that'll be good to see. He's played pretty well on this much better offensive line for the season. The not-so-good news, Landon Tangwell, he has had season-ending surgery. He'd been playing so well at the left guard position, the high recruit from 2021. So it's his second season after redshirting last year. Played so well, unfortunately, he had the... Injury in the pregame warmups against Michigan, I believe, a few weeks ago. So hopefully we'll be able to see him back and healthy next year. It's good to see our offensive line improving with guys like Tangwell, uh, Fashanu, Norzad transferring in. So hopefully that will be able to continue their improvement into next season. Penn State did beat Indiana 45-14. to this past Saturday, pretty easy win for the Nittany Lions. Clifford, not too much to talk about. 229 yards, zero touchdowns, one interception. Aller came in midway through the third quarter, threw a couple of touchdown passes in his relief effort. And But again, another first quarter interception for Sean Clifford. This is what, three or four weeks in a row now where he's really struggled in the first quarter. The two interceptions against Ohio State, the interception against Minnesota in the whiteout game, uh, the a bunch of three and outs against Michigan. So yeah, four straight games now. So I know us, Phil and I, we're Aller fans. We think he should be starting, playing way more than he has this season now that the conference title, especially is out of reach for this season. But Maybe Aller should start to see if Clifford uh, can maybe warm himself up on the sideline there so he's not throwing these interceptions and causing these games to be closer than they should be in the first quarter or uh, against lesser teams like Indiana or, you know, giving away chances against the better teams in Ohio State and Michigan. So maybe Aller should be starting just so Clifford doesn't, you know, cause too big of a deficit in the first quarter because uh, the final three teams, Maryland, Rutgers, and Michigan State, um, at least two of those are going to be bigger challenges, I believe, than what we got from Indiana this past weekend. 
Um, and another thing, Clifford, he's supposed to be the smart, you know, he's supposed to know everything now. He's 25 years old. He's been in the system. I mean, obviously we've had a bunch of different offense coordinators, but he's been at Penn state forever. We talk about it. There's a guy clearly running off the field, 12 men on the field for Indiana. Aaron Rodgers would have loved this situation, hike the ball, throw a hail Mary pass. See if he can get 30, 40, 50 yard, huge play touchdown. Uh, Clifford is just looking over the sideline like, uh, what should I do? So if he's supposed to be the smarter person on this team, if he's supposed to be the one that knows this offense better, has those intangibles, because Aller, I think at this point, has the better physical traits, then what is Sean Clifford adding? Especially in this game, all he was doing is hand the ball off, hand the ball off. The the stars of this game was Catron Allen. Singleton had a rushing touchdown as well. Catron Allen, three rushing touchdowns in this game. He's also the leading receiver in this game. Two catches for 72 yards. He was making guys miss, running guys over. He was looking great out there. He's definitely been the better running back over the past month or so after Singleton got off to the better start to the season. But... If Clifford's not going to provide the mental advantage that we think he should be getting as the older quarterback, the more seasoned quarterback in the system, then what's the point of throwing him out there, especially if we're just going to run the ball? Aller can do that. He can hand off the ball to these great running backs in Allen and Singleton. Why? I, if you, if you want to give him the start, fine, especially on senior day against Michigan State, the final game of the season, fine. He's earned that even though it's what it's going to be like his 12th senior day at this point, kidding aside. But what is the point of Clifford just starting and playing the majority of snaps if he doesn't appear to give you in that edge, even on the mental aspect anymore? I don't know. I know we talk about it every week, but it just seems more and more apparent every week that Aller should be getting more and more time um, I'm going to jump down to coaching for a second just because it's kind of cuts in with it. It's like Indiana had basically no chance to score. I know they had the, the pretty good drive in that first quarter with a Tuttle at quarterback before he got injured and left the game. But once the the true freshman or redshirt freshman, the freshman quarterback, third string quarterback came in, Indiana basically had no chance to score the rest of the game. I know they scored late against our second, third, fourth string defense out there. There was no chance Indiana was coming back to win that game. Give Aller more time, James Franklin. Like, give him some meaningful snaps. Don't give him snaps when the game's over. I mean, obviously, I'm saying the game would have been over at halftime up when we were up 24 to seven or whatever it was. But um, give him something with a little bit of consequence. So next year, when he's in that for the first time, and I know against Purdue, he was thrown in there and he did fine and everything like that. So at least he has some actual game reps of you know tension of stress and see how he responds in those situations and not just give him mop-up duty for these last four weeks of the season all right anyways on to receiver um theo johnson harrison wallace receiving touchdown in each game aller seems to be having a connection with liam clifford so we'll see if liam is higher up on the depth chart next season than if he's maybe one of the go-to guys for Aller next season. And then, great catch. Mitchell Tinsley thought it was one of the best catches of the year for Penn State. And then a couple a couple drives later, Brenton Strange is like, hmm, I'll just give you a catch of the year candidate. Right around the guy. No clue how either of those guys held onto the ball. Great catches by both of them. Offensive line. This was the big story of the game, in my opinion. 
Oli Fashanu does not play in this one. He didn't even travel to Indiana, I believe. Drew Shelton, the true freshman, gets the start at left tackle. I thought he played very, very well. Gave him a couple pressures. Not perfect, but I thought he played very well. Not too noticeable in this game, which is what you want to hear from a left tackle, especially a true freshman left tackle. Hunter Norzad, who we just mentioned is coming back next year, he gets injured on the first play of the game. He was playing left guard for the now out for the season, Landon Tangwell. J.B. Nelson comes in. Again, I think he played pretty well. Later in the game, Sal Warmly, the right guard, he is injured. Norzad, I guess, is healthy enough. He comes back in. He plays right guard for the rest of the way. And you thought, oh, man, all these rotating doors, the true freshman at left tackle, um, third string left guard, you know, backup, I guess, kind of right guard. And with Norzad being more of a left guard, starting the left guard for this for this game. Only one sack allowed, so you got to give them credit. Um, definitely look like Indiana might wreck some plays there early on, but uh, the offensive line definitely seemed to settle down, gel well, and they played a pretty clean game from there on out. Moving on to the defense, deny Dennis Sutton, first career interception. Good to see him do that. He's definitely he's making an impact with very limited snaps. True freshman, he's getting sacks. More of them, obviously, late in game. Now he's getting interceptions. He's going to be a force to reckon with for years to come for these Penn State Nittley Lions. More injuries on the defensive side here as Elsden and Jacobs, both linebackers, get injured during the game. That thrust Kobe King into more of a prominent role on the linebackers. He actually led the whole defense in snaps in this game. And with that, he led the team in tackles with eight and tackles for loss with two and a half. So good to see Kobe come in and play very well in the absence of some of the injured guys there. Daquan Hardy, Kalen King, interceptions for each of them in this game. So three interceptions total for the defense. But it, it was really, it was the defensive line, linebackers, and obviously the secondary helping in with blitzes as well. Six sacks in this game. I think all of them may have been in the first half when they were obviously going much harder and sticking with the first team defense. 16 tackles for loss. I think 11 different players or something like that had a tackle for loss or at least a half tackle for loss in this game. So they were flying. This this Indiana offensive line looked like Penn State offensive lines in years past. So it's good to see the defense with all the pressure on the game. Like I mentioned earlier, Basilak, the starting quarterback, did not play in this one. So Tuttle was the starter. He left injured in the first half. So they went to the true freshman quarterback. And then they might have sprinkled in some of the other guys as well as the game got out of hand. And man, Dan Orlovsky, the commentator for the game, he throwing a little bit of shade at Jack Tuttle. He's like, Jack Tuttle, he's still here, but he's in the transfer portal. Do the guys really like him? They like him because he's still he was his name team captain for the season. But with you being in the transfer portal, how into it the game are you going to be? And not questioning his motive during the game, but still it's like it's got to be a little kind of hard to be like, oh, man, this guy who doesn't even want to be here, he's going to be starting quarterback for us today. So, I mean, I think – he was he was the only guy that could run the ball in the first half for Indiana. The Penn State defensive line was great against the running backs. They were right in the backfield every time. He was he started the game something like nine for ten passing. Obviously a couple sacks thrown in there, so not like he played perfectly, but he played on Indiana's first half touchdown drive. He was the sole basically the sole reason for that and really any Indiana offense in most of the 
for a majority of this game was because of Jack Tuttle. Moving on to special teams, Pinnegar seven for seven on kicks. And it was a windy day. There was a high wind warning in the forecast for Indiana in this one. So you got to appreciate that at least. We gave it to Pinnegar a little bit last week with um, missed kicks that didn't count, but he was good this one. And he had his new career long 50-yard field goal. I think it was a little bit of wind in his back in this one, but still eked it just inside the post there. So congratulations on joining the 50-yard club, Jake Pinnegar. On to the Week 11 preview. Penn State will be playing Maryland this week, 3.30 Eastern on Fox. I believe Phil will be at the game, so maybe check out from there. I know where I was supposed to be getting a hurricane. I think it's more supposed to be Friday, Friday night into early Saturday morning. So I think by 3.30, the rain should be out of there, but uh, the field could still be wet. I'm guessing they'll cover it. Hopefully it has a good draining system up there in State College, but probably not ideal conditions. Maybe some leftover wind from the backside of the hurricane. So yeah, like I said, not ideal conditions, unlike this past weekend when it was like, you know, 70 degrees here in central Pennsylvania. Penn State is 41-3-1 all-time versus Maryland, including a 31-14 victory last season. Penn State is number 14 in the AP poll, 15 in the coaches poll, and 14 in the college football playoffs. So right on the edge there. Got to move up just a couple more spots to play in that New Year's Six Bowl, which could be, it sounds like maybe an Orange Bowl, Cotton Bowl, who knows, maybe even the Rose Bowl if both Ohio State and Michigan make it to the college football playoffs. So um, got to keep winning, though. Got to keep winning three games left. Got to win them if you want to play in that big coveted New Year's Six Bowl. Moving on to who you got. A rough week. Phil went 3-8 and eight last week, 51-41 for the season. I went 5-6, and six, so I have a three-game lead, 54-38 and 38 on the season. We added a couple games last week. We usually do about nine. We did 11 last week. Didn't work out so well. So this week, let's add a couple more. Let's go big. We'll start off, as we always do, Rice at Western Kentucky. Western Kentucky, 13-point favorites in this game. Rice, they are 5-4 and four in the season, 3-2 and two in Conference USA. But uh, pretty big road underdogs here. I will be taking Western Kentucky. Phil also Western Kentucky as they, they're, I think their third place Western Kentucky is in Conference USA. So if they want any chance at the Conference USA championship game, they got out, went out, even though they've lost to both the teams ahead of them. So it'd be pretty tough for them to make the conference championship game at this point. Next game, number nine, Alabama, the 12-point road favorite at number 11, Ole Miss. Alabama has won six in a row in this matchup. Phil's taking Alabama. And I will also take Alabama in this one. My only hesitation is that this is a road game for Alabama. And Alabama, like most of the college football across the country this year, has struggled on the road. Their loss last week against LSU on the road. Their loss earlier against Tennessee, on the road. Their near loss against Texas, on the road. Uh, the Texas A&M near loss, that was at home, so that one's the one uh, difference maker there. But still, that was the only reason I could consider taking Ole Miss, but I'll take Alabama, I think. Alabama, Nick Saban, they are going to have Lane Kiffin's number in this one. The next top 25 matchup, number 22, UCF at number 17, Tulane. That's right, an AAC top 25 matchup that does not include Cincinnati. Tulane is a two-point favorite in this one. And here's a little bit of a fun fact. This is the first top 25 matchup at Tulane 
since 1949. In 1949, Tulane was a member of the SEC. So I don't know if they got kicked out or if they were just overmatched, but not a great idea for them to leave the SEC. But good to see them back here in the top 25. Biggest game for Tulane in a very long time um for for them for the green wave phil is taking Tulane. i'm taking Tulane. i think it's gonna be crazy down there in new orleans for this matchup uh ucf is the good team that's why it's a very close uh spread here but i think Tulane will be able to pull it out moving over to the pack 12 we got number 25 washington at number six oregon oregon 13 point favorite in this one and they won 15 of the last 17 meetings between these two border rivals I will take the Ducks. Phil will take the Oregon Ducks in this one as well. And part of me is kind of just hoping. I think Oregon will win, but I really want Oregon to win just because next week in the Pac-12, Oregon, UCLA, USC, and Utah all ranked in the top 15 in the college football playoff. They'll be facing off against one each other next weekend, so that'll be a huge weekend in the Pac-12. And... It'll be just a little bit less exciting if Oregon loses sets. So I'm hoping Oregon wins so just to keep those stakes really super high for the Pac-12 next weekend. Next, we'll move on to the game that college game day will be at. That'll be number four, TCU, at number 18, Texas. Texas is the touchdown favorite in this one, being at home. And they are 64-27-1 all-time against TCU. However, TCU is 7-3 against Texas since joining the Big 12. So a bit of a turnaround once TCU got in the same conference as Texas. Phil will take the Longhorns, and I do think Texas is the better team. But, man, TCU just has that magic about them this season. They Six of their nine wins have been come from behind wins for them this season. So I do expect Texas to have a lead at some point in this game, but they almost cost coughed it up last week against Kansas State. I think they will cough it up this week against TCU, and TCU's magical run continues as they move to 10-0. and 0. Going over to the ACC, we've got number 15, Carolina at Wake Forest. Wake Forest coming off the loss, three-and-a-half-point favorites at home, and this is the 110th all-time meeting between these two North Carolina foes. Wake Forest won the first meeting 6-4, to four. Back in 1888. And if Phil was here, he would tell you who the president of the United States was that year. I will not. Phil, sticking with his boy, Sam Hartman, he will take the Demon Deacons. This was a tough one for me. I just can't trust Sam Hartman enough right now. Too many turnovers the last few weeks. I will take North Carolina and my old quarantine from a couple seasons ago with potential Heisman hopeful, Drake May. He's playing great this season, the freshman down there for the Tar Heels. Staying in the ACC, we got number 23, Florida State, six and a half point road favorite at Syracuse. Florida State won by a field goal last season. And Florida State is the, I think both these teams are better than they were last season, but Syracuse is on that tumble right now. Not sure if they will get, (coughs) not sure who will be quarterback for them this week. So I will take Florida State. Phil will also take Florida State in this matchup. Going back to the Big 12, we got number 19, Kansas at Baylor. Baylor, two and a half point home favorite in this one. So basically, I think these teams are pretty even, but they will take Baylor at home. Vegas will. And this is a pretty important matchup. Both teams are four and two in conference. So they're tied with Texas for second place in the Big 12 conference. Um, TCU, obviously, undefeated in first place there. So the loser of this game 
is probably out in terms of making it to the conference championship game. So very important battle here. I will take Kansas State. Phil will take Kansas State. I expect Adrian Martinez to play. Kansas State has played very well this season. Baylor, a bit of a disappointment. They were a preseason top 10 team, I believe. Haven't been ranked here in a few weeks. I think they're playing better, but I will take the Wildcats. Let's go to the Big Ten. We got Purdue at number 21, Illinois. Illinois, six and a half point favorites. Purdue all-time is 46, 45, and 6 against Illinois. So if Illinois wins... Back to 500, even between these two Big Ten rivals. And we are both taking Illinois in this one. Uh, It's just hard to trust Purdue right now after just only scoring three points last week. Illinois, very good defense. Could be another low-scoring classic Big Ten battle here. So we will both take the fighting Illini. Speaking of classic low-scoring Big Ten battles, we got Wisconsin, the one-and-a-half-point road favorite at Iowa. Um, Similar to... The Big Ten battle or Big 12 battle we just talked about in the Big Ten West, we got four teams that are three and three, second place in the Big Ten, just behind Illinois at four and two. Wisconsin and Iowa are two of those teams. So, again, here, the loser probably out of the Big Ten West uh, contention. Winner still might not be able to pull it off, especially if Illinois wins this weekend. But if they don't, the winner of this game will be right back in contention to win that Big Ten West and make it to the championship game. And both of us will be taking Wisconsin in this one. I know Iowa's had a bit of a resurgence offensively the last two weeks, but I think against Wisconsin and Jim Leonard in this defense, I think we're going to go back to a low-scoring game. I know neither of us really trust Graham Mertz, but I think Braylon Allen will be the difference in this one for the Badgers. Going back to the SEC, we got number seven LSU at Arkansas. Um, LSU is just a very small, about a field goal favorite in this one. I was surprised how close this one was, uh, um, considering the big win LSU is off of. They're all the way, obviously all the way up to number seven in the college football playoff. The committee thinks they are the best two-loss team in the country, especially when one of your wins is against Alabama. That's uh, fair to say. One of your losses is against uh, Tennessee, who's obviously a very good team as well. LSU, they will clinch the SEC West with a win plus an Ole Miss loss this weekend. So uh, pretty big stakes for LSU. Phil thinks LSU will win. So he thinks LSU will clinch the SEC West this weekend. I'm going with Arkansas on the upset. I think this is going to be kind of a bit of a letdown. We'll see if Arkansas can rebound from their early season uh, string of success, see if they can rebound a little bit here, spoil the party for LSU for at least one more weekend until they can potentially clinch the SEC West again. Staying in the SEC West, we got Texas A&M at Auburn, two-point favorite for Auburn here at home. And the loser, with both these teams being three and six, will not be eligible for a bowl. Auburn... Maybe less of a surprise, turmoil going into the season, firing your head coach during the middle of the season. Texas A&M, a much bigger surprise. They are a preseason top 10 team, ranked number six, I believe. Phil's going with Auburn to knock out Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M from bowl contention. I think Texas A&M will be able to pull it out. Uh, They played well last weekend with a bunch of players on their team with the flu, so as long as the team has gotten over the flu, I think they will prevail, and I think they're the better team. And we've seen Auburn not play too well this season. Obviously, neither of these teams have, but we've seen Texas A&M almost beat Alabama, so I think they can go on the road to beat Auburn here. 
And finally, we'll go with Maryland at number 14, Penn State. This is dropped to a 10-point spread. I think at the beginning of the week, it was more like a 13 or 14-point spread. So I wonder if the weather has kind of factored into that, if they've just lowered the point spread and just expect both teams to score a bunch fewer points. Phil is going Penn State. It says in the doc 35 to 1. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. It'll say he thinks it's 35 to 10. So pretty big win for Penn State. I'll say Penn State 24 to 10. I'm just going a little bit with the weather. I think it'll create a more low scoring game. Like I mentioned earlier, Talia Tungavailoa, not health, not 100% healthy last week when he played. So I don't know how much more that one extra week will pay for play dividends for him to be healthy or not. So I'll say Penn State, their defense is able to keep Maryland in check. And I, like I said, 24 to 10 victory. Hopefully we see some more Drew Aller in this game as always. All right. Phil usually says the sign off here. You know me. I usually end up with a go Penn State. We are go beat Maryland.